Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give a shout out to our very own podcast royalty super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Huzzah! And tally ho! <laughs> and, pip, pip. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Tickety-boo, indeed. Uh, and shout out, of course, to Mr. Noel Brown. They call me Ben. And shout out to our UK listeners who are cringing so hard right now. We see you. We see you. I don't think so. You know, I think it's all all well and good uh, in terms of, gosh, what was I listening to earlier? I was listening to, uh, or there was a film where I was watching a British actor doing a purposely bad American accent. Oh, yes, totally. We yes, know the Americans are the yes. ones with the accents. <laughs> That's exactly uh, right. So we're very conscious of that. We're, we're returning to a subject of continual fascination here mm. on Ridiculous History, which is Ridiculous Royal Deaths. Now, you don't have to have listened to the earlier episodes. There's some refs. There's some callbacks. There's some refs. This is sort of an update or at least an escalation, you know? Mm -hmm. But I, I think that one of the reasons that it's so fascinating to, to look into these ridiculous royal deaths, because there were just so many more interesting ways to die back then. <laughs> You know, nowadays it's all kind of vanilla for the most part, you know, but uh, like, you know, oh, heart attack and it's old age, but not in the days of yore when uh, anything could kill you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as of November 8th last year, there were officially 8 billion plus people alive. And just from the statistics, the brutal numbers game of reality, we know that there have been a lot of very strange deaths. We're focusing on royals because people in those upper echelons of society tend to have more documentation around about their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, also, they're they're you know a relatively small percentage of the overall population. Uh, and let's see, uh, we're gonna just give you a sense of this. Uh, oh, how did Max put it? Um, 
in this episode, we're going to see an example of man versus ocean, man versus arrow. Man versus chair. My favorite (laughs) man versus chair. You know, no spoilers, but one... One walks away the victor in that one. Well, yeah, it's like, a, it, it might not be, well, it's going to be who you think is chairs. It is who you uh, think it is. It is. But yeah, like I said, there's just, there were a lot more options uh, for, for hilarious demises, you know, back in the days, of, or the heyday, the, the, the glory days of royalty. Now it's, you know, little more than a, a, a big old paycheck and uh, fancy digs and, you know, the occasional parade. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's a coronation coming up. That's in right. the United Kingdom now. Uh, and this, uh, okay, let's let's get into it. Um, maybe we'll do something on the history of coronations in the future uh, in, in a timely manner. Perhaps, no promises, but we can promise you our first story is a doozy. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named William II, which I feel like is a weird, it, it, why does it feel distinguished to be the third, but kind of like juniory? to be the second? You know, it's a really good question because they they, they don't really uh, indicate stature necessarily. It's literally just order of birth. Um, but you're right. Something about the third really does just feel a little more uh, substantial. But yeah, so we've got uh, William the first, which also, you know, the first is always the best, you know, because you're like the OG, the OG William, uh, a.k.a. the conqueror. Um, As his name might imply, he was killed during battle. But his body was actually uh, shoved into a a coffin too small, a coffin too small. And uh, we've talked about this on the last episode. He, He exploded. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little, maybe a little more grand than that, but that's the idea. It all starts from a pop and then kind of escalates out from there, right? From the research, it wasn't the sound that was the most. It was the stench. Part. It was the smell. Mm-hmm. It had been a number of days since he had died. Yeah, because of the lampreys that he was stuffed with. No, you know? he's not the lamprey guy. That's Henry the first. Oh, and I got confused every second because I thought this was the guy that was uh, stuffed full of lampreys. But this was just literally a case of, uh, like I said, a coffin too small. Don't cut corners on the funeral. Mm-mm. Don't yeah. save shillings on the coffin. It's it's not worth it, you know. Uh, but yeah, we we also, I love that you mentioned lamprey guy, which is our street name for King Henry the first. Another first. Yeah. But, you know, both of these fellas did not <laughs> die with the most, or at least their ends were not surrounded with the most dignity, uh, worthy of their stature as the firsts. Yeah, William the First, uh, King Henry the First, uh, the, the part of a family line that just had a tough time uh, toward the end, and I believe it was Henry the First, heir to the throne, King William the Second, who went out in a, in a bit of a conspiracy. Okay, if you know this guy, mm-hmm. if you're like in the inner circle, you don't always call him King William II. Uh, he also goes by William Rufus. Like you said, Noel, he's the son of William I, the Conqueror. Our buddy Willie Rufus is King of England from 1087 to 1100. He does some big stuff. He makes some moves, you know. He keeps Normandy and England politically tied together. But in the in the process of doing this, he gets a kind of nasty reputation. People say he's super corrupt. He's brutal. He's a tyrant with an iron fist. And Rufus also gets the name The Red 
Not because he's super bloodthirsty or like King Joffrey about nah, it. Nah. He, he's got a ruddy <laughs> complexion. Yeah, that's kind of like a bit of a uh, of a backhanded nickname, wouldn't you say? I mean, the Conqueror sounds intense and cool, you know, but the Red, that's like sort of that joke in The Wire about like snot boogie, you know, how mm-hmm. one day you have a runny nose and next thing you know, you're snot boogie for the rest of your life. But you'd think a king would have a little more say over their nickname. But then I guess you don't really give yourself a nickname. This is the nickname history gives you or the people give you. So sort of a double-edged sword there. Yeah. And so as was feudal custom at the time, the eldest surviving son usually comes out on top in inheritance games. So William the Conqueror bequeaths the Duchy of Normandy to his eldest kid, Robert II Curtos. And Rufus the Ruddy, a.k.a. Rufus the Red, gets kind of a door prize. England. England is his consolation prize. But wait, but isn't England better than the Duchy of Normandy? You know, not in terms of time. risk not, pieces. Wow, <laughs> not that's fascinating. So funny story is William the Conqueror was from Normandy. He was French. So it's just like, that was the prize right there. And also another funny story, when he died riding his horse into battle, he was to go fight Robert II, his mm. son. Mm-hmm. Very it's big secession vibes. One uh, thing, you know, we obviously love these topics and and uh, talking about the the royal deaths and you know royal stuff in general. But I can never get good at like n- you know navigating all of the names and the succession, mm-hmm. and it just gets so like makes your head spin. You it's know? like uh, it's like that fantastic Gabriel Garcia Marquez novel, Hundred Years of Solitude. A lot of people have the same name. Is right? the issue. You yeah. know what I mean? That's why we need these street names. Oh, which Willie you're talking about? You talking about the Conqueror or the other guys? Or the Ruddy or, or, the, or, or the Rufus the one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's get to the death. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're thirsty for blood. So it's uh, August 2nd, 1100. William Rufus was asleep uh, in a hunting lodge, his hunting lodge uh, at New Forest. He had himself a bit of a spooky dream, a real nightmare. Mm-hmm. And we're getting a lot of this from Dominic Sandbrook writing over a history extra. Uh, let's just give you the quote. So according to one chronicler of the time, uh, writes Dominic, our buddy Rufus dreamt that he was let blood by a surgeon and that the stream reaching to heaven clouded the light and intercepted the day. Wow. This is super trippy. Now, bleeding was yeah. considered Dominic. a legit medical operation at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Thought to relieve your humors, balance out, you know, your colics and so on. It's so goth, dude. That is so goth. (laughs) His blood went to the sky. Yeah. I mean, the sun. Well, the the nightmare is is extra goth, but just the practice of bleeding is so metal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so medical maladies and treatments of the past are so endlessly fascinating. Imagine you walk into the doctor's office and the doctor says, oh, buddy, I tell you what your problem is. You got too much blood. Yeah. Let's let's balance out those humors. Um, so yeah, this dream. Uh, he's he's having the old common daily blooding, and he just starts gushing, you know, like a geyser forth to the heavens. But Ben and Max, I might need a little help unpacking the last part of this account. Uh, the idea that the geyser of blood clouded the light and intercepted the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eclipsed. 
okay. the eclipse. The sun, like, um, you know, like a, a, a volcanic eruption mm-hmm. can blot, blot the out ash. the light. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, so this is like doomsday apocalyptic type vibes. The which, world is uh, ending because this guy's dying. No ego on this guy that's at the all. Interp- that, that's really, that's good. But there was another account as well, right, Ben? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think you and I enjoyed this one because speaking of metal, uh, William has a dream that I, I think a lot of people have had in the past where he meets the actual facts devil. Mm-hmm. And as always, shout out to friend of the show, Lauren Vogelbaum, for teaching me the phrase actual facts. It just works so well. Uh, he, the devil has some stuff to say to him, right? That's right. Um, well, he says that he's going to, he says, I'll be seeing you real soon, buddy. This doesn't bode well. And uh, old William Rufus just wakes with a shriek to his servants to bring forth a light because he was really concerned. He needed some light in the space because he was, you know, felt like he was being covered in darkness and perhaps beckoned by the Dark Lord himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, we've got to exercise some empathy here. You know, everybody, I would imagine, at some point, in in their lives has had a dream that is so real and so disturbing that you wake up and you don't want to go back to sleep and you still Mm. sort of feel in between realities, you know? And if you have a partner that you sleep in the same bed with, you might even wake them up and say, oh, this is crazy. I can't, and you'll sound like a crazy person. Oh yeah. Because you'll be like, there were golf balls, but there were also eyes that turned Mm -hmm. into teeth and I had to like sell the teeth so I could get out of jail. It's after my teeth fell out of my mouth uh, as well. It's, It's a combo. But usually, thankfully, that kind of fugue state and that fear it doesn't last super long. And and that was the case with uh, William, right? Like he got better vibe. As he was feeling day. better. You know, it's funny too, Ben, you mentioned that. Um, I looked, I, I sometimes when I wake up in the morning uh, in that kind of liminal space, I will have some kind of morning anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I Googled that and it is very, very common um, because of levels of cortisol in the mornings that are like higher you know, the stress hormone. Uh, it's something about if people are predisposed to having like generalized anxiety, not to dox myself here, but I think that's a pretty common diagnosis for, you know, many Americans. So I'm not alone there. Uh, but yeah, in the morning, those levels can be elevated. So perhaps William Rufus also had a little bit of generalized anxiety, which I would imagine a lot of people did back then too. Yeah, man. You, you, you don't know when you're going to run into a, a wolf or a bear. Or the devil himself. Or the devil. You don't know when your blood is going to go against the laws of gravity and blot out the sky. You get in situations. But again, after that, you know, time had passed, that direct feeling of anxiety, whether cortisol related or not, he was feeling a little bit better. Um, And he decided he wanted to go about his day. It was very beautiful that day, uh, you know, in the old hunting lodge. And I guess so he was there, obviously, on a hunting expedition. This is like a getaway vacation thing. He wasn't going to let some nightmare ruin his his hunting day. You know, he was a big boy. He was going to sally forth. And as they're getting ready for an afternoon of hunting and merriment, (laughs) One of the royal armorers gives the king six arrows. William keeps four of the arrows for himself, and he hands the other two to a pal of his, one of his hunting partners, a nobleman named Walter Terrell, lord of, uh, you'll have to help me with the pronunciation here. Would it be Poe? P-O-I-X? Maybe maybe Poi. Poi? Yeah, it's Poi. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. 
Terrell, by the way, a name lifted by old uh, George R. R. Martin in the uh, Songs of Ice and Fire novel. There was a very wealthy kind of more of a traditional British royal family uh, that was depicted in that series and in the in the TV series, uh, the Terrells. Spelled differently here, but yeah, you're on to something. Uh, if you want to read the real-life account of George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire, check out the historical event known as the War of the Roses, Wars of the Roses. So this guy, Walt, has street cred. He's got a reputation as being really good with a bow and arrow. So according to this story, uh, they say Rufus, who is in the mix here, says what translates to good arrows for a good shot. Uh, and all right, Willie divides up his hunting party. Most of his entourage remains with his younger brother, Henry, who Max, you helpfully pointed out, is Lamprey dude on our show. Mm-hmm. And the king himself rides off with his buddy, Walt, deep into the forest. And this is where the conspiracy kicks in. There's a bit Ooh. of a mystery. Thank you. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. 
Yeah, and as as usually is the case with these sorts of historical uh, events that are shrouded in mystery, there are multiple accounts. Um, and I think probably the most conspiratorial uh, and kind of famous version comes from a William of Malmesbury. Malmesbury. Uh, and he writes this. Um, the sun was now declining when the king, drawing his bow and letting fly an arrow, slightly wounded a stag, which passed before him and keenly gazing, followed it, still running a long time with his eyes, holding up his hand to keep off the power of the sun's rays. Ben, you should, you should keep it going. At this point, Walter tried to transfix another stag, but oh, gracious God, unknowingly and without power to prevent it, he pierced the king's breast with a fatal arrow. Poetry. Ah. Oh. I love these types of accounts. They're just so, you know, rich with drama. A Dick Cheney moment. Okay. Can I say that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Dick was a, remember, remember the whole thing. That's that, right. Yeah. The, the whole Dick Cheney thing, where he I, he was, you know, wearing his. I guess you know when you're hunting in modern day, you're not wearing cool armor. You're wearing some dorky kind of orange vest. Mm -hmm. um, and even despite that, Dick Cheney mistook one of his hunting buddies as a stag or whatever beast they were hunting, right? That's the official version. And for a long time, you know, uh, late night shows made a meal of this and, and heavily implied that Cheney had apparently uh, been drinking and purposely, like, shot at the guy. But, but nothing was ever proven. Again, it's a mystery. And so here's, here's the thing. We established our buddy Walt here is known for having good aim. He is, according to the story, he's not a guy who is likely to miss, right? Especially in such a catastrophic way. So a lot of people at the time, the town criers, the other people of the court and so on, they were kind of skeptical. They said, Don't hey, play. yeah, you're, you're basically like what we're going to call a sniper in a few centuries. How could you have suddenly been so bad at shooting that you shoot the king in the chest. It's a, it's a reasonable question, Ben. It uh, is a reasonable think, question, though. I think it is. And, you know, without even taking into consideration uh, any political motives of, like, reporting it in a slanted way or whatever, it's a little fishy, right? Especially mm -hmm. given the, the fellow's reputation, uh, Terrell. So fingers immediately pointed in Terrell's direction, the thinking uh, being that the king's brother, Henry, who was around but not so close that he was considered a suspect, right? May have put Terrell up to it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't smell great, right? This would make an investigator suspicious in the world of, of modern law enforcement. But we do know what happened next. William's entourage, the party that had split off earlier, they find the body. And when they find the body... Like in one version of the dream, blood is pouring from the wound. They, yeah, they carry him in a cart. You know, they're trying to do their version of triage, like staunch the bleeding and so on. But he's really leaking, and there's a trail of blood behind the cart as a result. Henry, you mentioned just a second ago, is doing some, uh, some crazy reasoning, right? He's he's in a think-fast situation, and he's thinking, okay, my older brother, the Duke of Normandy, Robert, is coming back from the First Crusade. If I act quickly, if I am nimble and swift, we have to have a king, so that king 
can be me if I get crowned before Robert gets word of the death and before he gets back. So yeah, I've got a quick question. Let's take it back to your analogy of the show Succession. Um, you know, there are things like temporary CEOs, interim CEOs. So if you're, you know, in an emergency situation while the actual heir is out of the picture, but returning, wouldn't that supersede your, uh, you know, kind of clutch crowning there? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I believe it was uh, Little Kim who pointed out the importance of money, power, and respect, right? And he is going through that or, order of operations. You're right. It is sticky. If things are happening appropriately, then there should be some interim ruler. Robert should be notified, right, as soon as he gets back from the crusade and things should continue. If you want to flip the script like young Henry here— what you do is try to take over the royal treasury. There get it is. the money, and then you get the power, and then you get the respect. That's what he's thinking. And that's what the Little Kim story is all about. It's, it's about this royal death. No, I think that's a really great piece of, uh, of modern wisdom to add some context here. Because if he's got the money and he's on the throne, then it becomes a matter of the Duke of Normandy exercising his claim and potentially starting a war. Because if his brother's already entrenched and's already got the seat and has access to all the funds, technically he's in charge. So he can, he can you know, uh, exercise the authority that comes along with that position against his own brother. Mm -hmm. And he reaches Winchester that very night in 72 hours. He is officially crowned king. So the question that remains, which has yet to be solved conclusively, is whether this royal death was an accident, an unfortunate slip of the bowstring, or whether it was a planned hit, an assassination. Either way, it's really strange. There's the dream the guy had before, which is kind of on the nose, depending oh, yeah. on the version. And then... There's, the, there's another thing. We'll just, maybe we end it here. There's an even weirder version that, of course, can't be proven that says the arrow that Walt shot bounced off a tree and then impaled William. Uh, so maybe it was an accident. Maybe it was an assassination. Either way, it changed the course of history. 100%. And we see seemingly arbitrary events like this changing the course of history all the time. But I will say, you know, to give a little bit of, you know, maybe points uh, to the conspiracy angle, it makes sense that the guy who called the hit would want to be seen as having been part of the hunting party. And then his frantic ride back to, you know, be crowned was more him doing his his duty, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and also... When you are a powerful person, there are people who would inevitably see a benefit in your untimely demise. But no you don't always have to worry about the other people in the mix. Sometimes you can't trust the furniture around you. Shout out to Bella, the first of Hungary. Yeah, heavy uh, weighs the head that wears the crown uh, and potentially gets crushed by the throne. Um, not figuratively, right? This is a wild. This is a wild one. Yeah. All right. This so Bella is the equivalent of a of a silver spoon kid born into Hungarian royalty. His father, Prince Vazul, which is such an awesome name. Awesome name. Yeah. Uh, his his father had been a nephew of the Hungarian king, Stephen I. Stephen I did not have a direct issue, meaning he didn't have children of his own. And so 
the king bypasses Prince Vazul and names another nephew heir to the throne. Vazul doesn't like this. He felt like he was he should have been next in line. So he rebels. He he tries to, you know, he's got to be starting something and it doesn't work. He is captured. And as punishment, he is blinded in 1031, which just seems brutal to me. So Bella has a guilt by association thing going on. His dad tried to <laughs> overthrow the uh, Hungarian regime. So Bella and his siblings leave Hungary quick, fast, and in a hurry. In 1046, they return, and they return because Bella's eldest brother did succeed in regime change. His eldest brother deposed the king, seized the crown, and uh, now we have to get... This is weird. We kind of have a weird day job at times because, Noel, now we have to get into Hungarian royal customs of the 11th century. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's just sort of like customs of succession. A lot of these things are, you know, very culturally based. It's not always, you know, uh, the eldest son or whatever it might be. In Hungarian custom, uh, the crown is actually passed from brother to brother based on seniority. And Bella was actually made a duke and named the heir. So this is, again, a custom. And the thing is, when you are at the top of an absolute monarchy, you get to decide what the customs are. So while they were away from Hungary, Bella's brother changed the rules and <laughs> says, I'm going to name... Dirty. Yeah. Dirty I, pool. I'm, I'm going to name my son the official heir. My son's only four years old, but I don't know. He looks pretty smart to me. How tough can it be to run a country? He'll, he'll get the knack of it by the time he's, you know, six, maybe eight. So Bella doesn't like this. No. Bella's like, I should be king after you, old man. And uh, so he gets a, together an army in Poland and then goes into Hungary and says, we're going to keep to the customs. It's the right thing to do, not just because it's super awesome for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there was a, a melee, uh, and uh, the uh, brother who was currently sitting on the throne was killed. Uh, Bella then, you know, took his place uh, on the throne. He was crowned. Mm -hmm. And after he became king, there was an uprising. There was a culture war, basically. Uh, and the uh, a large contingent of people in the area said, we're fed up with Christianity. Christianity still kind of had that new car smell in this part of the world uh, because Christianity had only become the official state religion a couple of decades earlier. And a lot of people weren't vibing with it. They wanted a return to paganism return to their pre-Christian beliefs. And Bella said, I hear you. And he raised an army and he brutally crushed this rebellion. Uh, and then 1063, he fights off a German invasion that's sent basically by the Holy Roman Emperor. And he says, look, from now on, Hungary is independent from foreign domination, be it political or religious. But amidst all these opponents and all this intrigue, there was one assassin he just didn't see coming. You never see it coming. 
Well, maybe. Maybe you have a split second of reaction time. But, you know, no one ever suspects the very seat that you find yourself seated in. <laughs> you know, the symbol, the very symbol of your power. I mean, you got the crown too, but the throne is a big one. Uh, and, and it was a big throne. <laughs> and it wasn't, I guess, I guess it needed a little maintenance. It hadn't been anchored uh, properly or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so it's, we, we don't want to be too like gleefully ghoulish here, but it is kind of funny because a lot of time has passed. It's September. It's a nice September day. It's 1063. Bella One is in his summer palace in a town called Domos. He's got all his all his top team with him, all his senior guys, you know, as his his entourage, his officials, his hangers on. They're gathered before him. He's walking up. He's about to hold court. I'm I'm walking like the king in Hamilton now. And he uh he <laughs> So imagine high pomp and circumstance. Max, the most ridiculous 11th century music we have. And then he sits down. And what happens next? Yeah, I mean, the whole chair uh, basically just collapsed in on him. And he he did, you know, he was injured um, pretty badly, uh, but he was not able to uh, be treated, you know, in a timely enough manner. And he did die a bit later. And... The throne never went to jail, never saw a day in court. And even now, furniture cannot be prosecuted. It's a huge miscarriage of justice. It is. It is indeed. Uh, I just, I said, I'm just trying to understand. Mm-hmm. Max, maybe you can help us with this. Um, how, how do you get so horrifically injured just by falling through a chair? Like, I think we've all maybe miscalculated slightly and, and, and you know, fallen off. No, maybe just me. No one's fallen off a chair before. Or, uh, I've fallen off plenty of chairs. Okay. I broke didn't... a chair at Joe McCormick's house. I did. I've done that too, especially if they're like some some of those like outside chairs that it's are exposed the to the elements. Right. Right. Tough for me. So, guys, I think I know how to explain it. There was one time, this is back when I was like in high school, I had a few friends over and my buddy Josh was sitting in this like, you know, like, like poolside chairs that lay sure, down and stuff sure. you see how it in there and it was but it was a little higher up it was a weird chair it was like higher up than you expect but the middle of it collapsed and he basically went like that oh he sandwiched he sandwiched yeah. him he sandwiched yeah. him. and that's what i'm kind of expecting this thing to do but you know it's like you know well, the, the back of it right yeah like the, 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 the really headboard high. let's call it really high really adorned you know it's made of wood but perhaps adorned with metal or other you know precious stones mm. or whatever it might be but yeah it could have been very tall and that could have collapsed in on him and with the pressure on that fulcrum it could have kind of broken his back maybe or something i mean again we yeah. don't have exact details here but. i'm working off the assumption that he also might have gotten impaled somewhere right yeah it's so these things are super heavy it's actually a little unfair for us to call it a chair uh and not to make him look bad but the whether it be shoddy design or whether it be a lack of maintenance when heavy furniture falls it can kill you. People do die when furniture falls on them. But uh, if it happens in the forest and no one's around, does it still make a noise? You'd have to ask. You'd have to ask our buddy Walt with the arrows. Yeah, yes, that's true. If you shoot a king in the forest and it's just you and the king, is it an accident or an assassination? No one uh, knows. So right. So we are going to end today's episode on a um, a bit of a PSA. Right, straight from the 12th century here. It's a PSA against operating a vehicle while inebriated. <laughs> 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like, uh, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I don't want to sound all like dad about it, you know, or like a driving instructor in high school, but this story... 
this this story is one to remember. We're going to introduce you to William the Aetheline, which so so it sounds so Skyrim. It you know it sounds like a it sounds like a, a character class in Skyrim. I yeah, level eighty Aetheline. The Aetheling, uh, also referred to as Adeline, which I think just accounts for a, a language, you know, the, the translation or whatever, you know, from, I think, Gaelic. Um, but yeah, uh, this is the uh, heir and legitimate son, the only uh, legitimate son with a claim to the throne of King Henry I of England. And he was, ding, 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 the lamprey guy. Mm-hmm. Who ate too many, you know, of his sli- slippery, slimy delicacy friends and uh, and, and did not farewell. Especially considering everybody was constantly pointing out that he was allergic to him. Anyway, <laughs> check out King Henry's story. Yeah, very unfortunate family. Uh, Aetheline, by the way, is an interesting name for this guy, or Adeline, as you said, because it means, it, it literally means Anglo-Saxon prince or noble. So he's he's like William the prince. Anyway, uh, he's Duke of Normandy, in his own right, because his father fought these battles in France that forced the Norman barons to recognize William as their duke. And William the Aetheling, as you can tell by his nickname, was pretty spoiled as a kid. And folks thought he was such a brat that he was going to be, quote, destined to be food for the fire. Uh, Ooh, that's yeah. like uh, Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Uh, we will never know what his royal or geopolitical career would have been like because he died in an accident when he was pretty young and his death led to absolute pandemonium in the country. That's right. In November of 1120, uh, after he made a visit to France on uh, royal business, there was a fleet of ships that was being put together to ferry uh, King Henry um, and his court across the English Channel back to England. He was 17 years old at the time, and he was uh, meant to uh, board uh, the white ship, um, which was like the flagship of the English Navy, right? It was, it was, you know, the most up-to-date, you know, shiny and new and very fast comparatively, you know, for the time. It's like taking Dad's Camaro out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like taking the Camaro out uh, if the Camaro is, you know, the fastest jet. In, in the country. Uh, so this is, this is a huge level of opulence. Willie is only 17, and uh, he, he turns it into a, a party. He gets down with the bros. They get stupid drunk with the crew of the ship. It's one of those things where they, uh, the way I picture it, they're about to leave. The captain's like, all right, we're, it's time to go on the white ship all aboard. And then William the Aetheling is going, no, no, one more round. Let's ha- let's all have another round. You, first mate, grab a drink with me. Tell me about the life of a peasant. And then after they get very, very, like multiple sheets to the wind, the prince and his gang, we're talking about 300 people now, get on the ship and they're going to sail across at night. Yeah, I mean, this is essentially the equivalent of, like, you know, drunk fishing, 
you know, but mm-hmm. like with much higher consequences or like, you know, taking the pontoon boat out on the lake, you know, with a, you know, but more like a yacht situation, let's call it. And just, you know, everyone's drunk, including the captain, right? Yeah. Yeah. And King Henry had already sailed across several hours earlier. So these guys are super drunk. They're hyping each other up. Uh, these these very, very wealthy people and an actual ship's crew uh, decide they're going to make a race of it. We don't know exactly how that went down. William the Eighthling was the type of dude who would maybe command people to race. Anyway, they're all on board. They say we're gonna we're gonna lap the king. We're gonna catch up and we're gonna uh, we're gonna beat him to England. This is the white ship. It is the fastest, and they decide they're gonna go for it. And they're rowing their keisters off, and they're all just housing wine. And the drunk prince and his friends are doing moral support, cheerleading, you know, row faster, 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 faster. And uh, unfortunately, the crew, which did pick up a lot of speed, they spent so much time focusing on speed that they didn't have a lookout. You definitely need a sober lookout. Yeah, you do. Like a designated uh, uh, lookout. Um, this is going to become a bit of a Titanic situation. They run aground on a particularly nasty rock. Uh, it splits the hull and they, you know, eventually sink. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of people die as a result. And one of the people who dies is the prince. William the Eighthling is the only legitimate male child, a succession war begins, a crisis of the state. King Henry doesn't have another son, and so he tries to get his daughter to be the official heir, his daughter Matilda. The barons sort of agree, but you know they're being insincere. They're waiting for Henry to die. Which he did when he decided to eat a bunch of eels. Oh, yeah, right. It's all full circle, circle of life. So then he does die. Uh, in 1135 and the barons flip-flopped and decided instead of backing Matilda to back uh, his nephew, you know, because of the whole him being a man thing. Yeah, misogyny. Was, yeah, it was yeah. pretty big at the time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Stephen of, of Blois, Blois, B-L-O-I-S. I'm going to say Blois, but I, I, it might be Blois. Blois? Blois. That's a very odd name. Uh, let Blois. us know. Yeah, blow eyes, who knows? I'm sure there's a way, but we're going to just go with all of those potential options. Um, And he did, in fact, succeed in claiming uh, the crown because he was the eldest male relative of the the king. Blois. Can you believe it? It's Blois. Is it really? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, well done, now, yeah, French. The more, the more you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, we, we talked about Matilda kind of being in the game or a, a, in play. And so Matilda was like, no, that, that's not cool. I'm, I, 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 will cha- I challenge you. You guys' dad said. <laughs> is, the, uh, is the energy. But, uh, but also, yeah, Matilda sees this clear, enormous opportunity. This is, of course you're going to fight for this. It is good to be in charge, right? And this conflict between Stephen and Matilda leads to almost 20 years of civil war. It's now collectively known as the anarchy. It only ends when they reach a compromise. Stephen, being recognized as king, says, okay, Matilda, 
your son will be my heir. And yeah. yeah. Compromise. Yeah. Could have been worse. I mean, sure. Yeah, there's that. And so uh, Matilda's son ascends to the throne eventually and is crowned Henry II when Stephen dies in 1153 and founds a dynasty which would go on to rule England for centuries, all because of an ill-advised drunken boat race. Yeah, I mean, you know, the whole drunken boat race thing really does feel very succession, very on brand for just kind of modern debauchery. Like I said, just the idea of like absolute. Have you seen the have you seen the film Triangle of Sadness, Ben? I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just you know, drunken, opulent boat shenanigans uh, abound on that in that particular film. Highly recommend it it's if y'all kind of, haven't seen it. It's it's a lot. It's kind it's of fun kind of, also to have a cocktail on a boat, you know, um, I'm, I'm not above it, but never when you are driving, never when you are driving or piloting the boat, no. right? You, you sit, sit in the back, watch the sunset, you know, maybe see a dolphin, sip a cocktail and stay away from the helm. And definitely don't lock yourself in a cabin and start spouting communist uh, manifesto shenanigans over the, uh, the intercom. Maybe don't Re- do that. read the room. You know, read the boat. And with this, uh, we are going to call it a day on another episode of Ridiculous Royal Deaths. A uh, shout out to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Shout out to our um, our resident opponent, Jonathan Strickland, who once, back in the day, believe it or not, years ago, would appear on our show. It's true. And uh, I, I do believe there will come a time when he will appear again. This would have been a good opportunity. He, he loves he loves royalty stuff. He likes, he likes doing arch voices, too. He does. He's a big fan. But uh, also, huge thanks to Chris Frasiotis here in spirit. He was Jeff Coat. Um, man, Max Williams, who did the research on this episode and also is our super producer extraordinaire. And shout out to any royalty, present or future, who is tuning in today. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.